Hello, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Uh, we continue tonight's episode of Voltaire, the great French philosopher. And we're going to talk tonight about Candide and morality. And uh, just a word from Voltaire. I have no morals, yet I'm a very moral person. Seems like we've heard that before. Voltaire's Candide stands out as a major satire of the Enlightenment. It challenges the idea that optimism, or God, will provide. Candide is an optimistic young man who lives in an Eden-like paradise. His mentor, Pangloss, has engraved him with the idea that a just and all-powerful God created the world. As a result, the world and everything that happens must be God's will and perfect. Anything that appears to be wrong is merely a lack of human understanding. Pangloss ignores any evidence to the contrary. In addition to a rational optimism, Pangloss advocates a complacent attitude toward evil and wrongdoing. If it is God's will, why argue? As an example, when Pangloss's friend is struggling in the Bay of Lisbon, Pangloss keeps Candide from rescuing his friend from drowning. He states that the Bay of Lisbon must have been specifically created to achieve this particular, particular drowning. In Candide, Voltaire deliberately ridicules fanaticism and religion. While the book was successful, it was considered scandalous and banned in many places because of its religious blasphemy. Since its publication in 1759, Candide is considered one of the 100th most influential books ever written. While the tone of Candide is light and amusing, its criticism of religion is brutal, and the book remained banned in the United States until the early 20th century. One of the major criticisms of Candide is that the character finds no alternative answers after rejecting his irrational optimism. The reason for this is that Voltaire himself, although an opponent of organized religion, was a deist. He struggled with the question of how to incorporate a rational God in an irrational world without finding a solution. Other, more minor, themes that ran through Candide. One of them is the supposed superiority of the rich and elite. Voltaire had always hated the pretentiousness of the upper classes. In his youth, he paid the price for his dislike with imprisonments at the Bastille, and his attitude not changed with age. In Candide, he presents Candide's mother as a snobbish aristocrat who looks down on Candide's father merely because he is of a lesser noble. There is a number of good Samaritans in the novel. Their presence reveals the kindness of people which are capable, when left to their own devices, without having their behavior forced by governments or churches. Voltaire has been defiant of authority, governmental or religious. All his life, as a young man, he'd happily thumped his nose at social superiors for the sheer pleasure of doing so. With, that, with an advancing age, however, he saw that defiance on its own did not constitute morality. If there was no authority to guide a person's behavior, then obviously the person had to be responsible for his or her own deeds. Whether right or wrong, 
Morality, he concluded, was the result of taking responsible action instead of blindly obeying those in power. Following the publication of a Candide, Voltaire's life was con- content. He enjoyed his homes, and he and, and Marie-Louise entertained quite frequently. At the age of 65, Voltaire tired easily and went to bed early. But it pleased him that while he rested, Marie-Louise was entertaining royalty and other prominent people. Then in 1760, fate brought a major change to his life. Through an acquaintance, he learned of a teenage girl in Paris whose father was barely able to support her. Her name was Marie-Francois Cornille, a descendant of the 17th century dramaticist Pierre Cornille. Voltaire immediately invited her to stay with him and Marie-Louise. When Marie-Francois arrived, they welcomed her with a surrogate daughter. Voltaire took great delight in his new role as a father. She she showed some kind of acting talent, and Voltaire provided her with a few small parts in his plays. The crucial thing, however, was to find Marie-Francois a husband. This would require a dowry. To get the needed funds, Voltaire suggested to the Comédie Française that he would write an endorsement and commentary of Perry Cornell's plays. The Comédie Française agreed to the project. It turned out that many of Pierre Cornell's plays were not to Voltaire's liking, and he ended up denouncing them. Still, the book, which was published in a beautiful deluxe edition, was a success, and Marie-Francois received 40,000 pounds. Voltaire and Marie-Louise arranged for the marriage of their adopted daughter in 1763. The suitable candidate was Pierre-Jacques-Claude de la Chaux, Voltaire already knew the young man and considered it a suitable match. Luckily, Marie-Francois and Pierre-Jacques fell passionately in love upon being introduced. The wedding was held at Voltaire's home. Since neither of them had any family, Voltaire invited them to live with them. He was getting older, still enjoying his relationship with Marie-Louise, and now added fatherhood to his pleasures. At the same time, a horrible legal case brought out the social warrior in Voltaire. It began on October 13, 1761, when the son of Huguenot merchant Jean Cas was found dead. The family insisted that the young man, Marc Antoine, had been murdered in France, a capable Catholic country. The death of a Protestant Huguenot did not warrant further inquiry. The dead man, Marc Anton had studied for a new law degree, and in order to practice law, it was necessary for him to convert to Catholicism. He had refused. This, of course, was very suspicious to the Catholic Church. The authorities looked to blame the, the Callas family of Mark, for Marc Antoine's death, claiming they had killed him to prevent his conversion to Catholicism. The case became the talk of France. The family was arrested with the issuance of proper warrants. Jean Callas, the father, was eventually tortured to get him to confess. When he did not, he was executed. Although Voltaire was still banished from Paris during this event, he received news of it in Geneva. His first reaction was a brutal, brutal quip 
reminiscent of his useful snide sarcasm that had landed him in the Bastille. We may not be worth much, but the Huguenots are even worse. Yet in the days and weeks to come, as Voltaire learned more about the case, his mood shifted from condescension to concern to outrage. In 1762, he began a three-year campaign to bring justice to the Callis family. He provided the widow Callis with funds to appeal the case. He anonymously, anonymously wrote legal documents, spoke with the best lawyers, and called upon his aristocratic friends for support. He was livid at the French judiciary system, which permitted the court to keep evidence secret. The official, one official ordered Voltaire to step back. Let the world wag its own way. Voltaire ignored him. In 1763, he wrote about the case in a work called Treatise on Tolerance, which argued vehemently for religious tolerance. Treatise on Tolerance caused havoc with both, both the French government and the church. The Postal Service in Geneva refused to mail any copies and destroyed any they could get hold of. Opening mail was standard procedure in Geneva. Still, in 1764, thanks to Voltaire's efforts, the callous case was reopened. By the following year, the father was found innocent of any wrongdoing, although they had already executed Jean Callas. The new verdict at least restored the man's reputation and the family also received 3,600 livres by King Louis XV in compensation. The original prosecutor who had found him guilty committed suicide. Although Voltaire's health was in decline, the Callas case convinced him to continue being involved in cases of injustice. He was compelled to see his words turned into concrete action. Otherwise, what would be their meaning? At the age of 71, he felt the need not to just write about justice, but to actively work in justice.